Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled The Unknowable. It's based upon the lectionary readings for October 17, 2021. Perhaps the first thing to say about this week's reading from the book of Job is that we are not meant to find it pleasing. Humbling, yes. Baffling, most likely. Infuriating, perhaps, but not pleasing. Like the rest of this ancient and complicated text, the closing chapters of Job invite us to wrestle, to push our boundaries, to contend with the frustrating limits of our comprehension and knowledge. In many ways, God's thundering response to Job's anguished questions about human suffering is an invitation for us to accept what we'd much rather not accept, the unknowable. The reading opens just as God appears in a whirlwind and confronts his faithful and upright servant, Job. For 37 chapters, we have waited for this climactic moment. In rapid, horrible succession, we've watched Job lose nearly everything he cherishes in this world. We've witnessed his sorrow, his bewilderment, his anger, his despair. We've sat with him in the ashes and contemplated the injustices that scar our own lives. We've listened to the unhelpful blather of Job's friends and recognized in their pious speeches some of the harmful things we ourselves believe about suffering. We've longed, like Job, for clarity, for answers, for vindication. For far too long, we've pleaded with God, just as Job has, daring God to break God's silence and show up. So what should we do now? How should we respond to the God who does, in fact, show up in our lectionary, not to answer even one of Job's searing questions, but to flatten the poor man with, with another set of questions that leave him speechless? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Can you send forth lightning? Who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? Who provides for the raven its prey? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? From whose womb did the ice come forth and who has given birth to the hoarfrost of heaven? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? or loose the cords of Orion. On and on and on God goes in this gorgeously poetic text, describing a cosmos so vast, so complex, and so intricate in its workings that even our modern, scientifically-oriented minds buckle. But why? Why is this barrage of impossible questions, this dazzling, dizzying tour of the natural world, God's response to Job? I wonder if the divine intention is twofold. On the one hand, God honors and elevates Job by showing up and engaging him in dialogue. After all, what else has Job asked for since his good life shattered? He has asked for God's presence, God's voice, God's nearness. In respecting this desire, God extends a high anthropology to Job, a high view of humankind and its relationship with the divine. According to the author of Job, human beings are creatures with whom God interacts and argues. Human beings are free to question God, challenge God, doubt God. Human beings matter enough in the cosmic scheme of things to be confronted with hard truths by their creator. If anything, Job's honest and impassioned response to his very human suffering, a response wholly devoid of his friend's smug pieties, earns him the divine audience he craves. At the same time, though, God's cosmic nature lesson reorients Job, handing him a lower anthropology, a more modest position in God's economy. Like most of us, Job organizes his theology around his own experience. 
he uses his own story, his own pain as a foundation for his beliefs about God. Suffering does this to us. It narrows and clouds our vision, making a big picture perspective difficult. Another way of saying this is that Job thinks he lives in an if-then universe that centers around his own tragedy. If I do A, then B will happen. If I live righteously, then God will reward me. God's response to Job challenges this spiritual myopia. Humanity's place in creation is honorable but not exclusive, significant but not central. God's perspective on justice for humanity is not bound by Job's retributive calculus. Of course God cares for Job, but God also cares for the creatures of the forest, the movements of the planets, the patterns of the weather, the currents of the sea. God's concerns are much wider, broader, deeper, and higher than Job's puny mind can fathom, and the way that causality might or might not work in God's universe has nothing to do with Job's holy, human-centered, if-then. I started this essay with the claim that God's response to Job is not a pleasing one. It's not a pleasing one if we come to the book of Job seeking a straightforward answer to the question of human suffering. To put it bluntly, God doesn't answer the question. Instead, God asks us questions, questions intended to show us how little we're capable of knowing about God, the universe, and ourselves. Whatever the answer to Job's question might be, this ancient text insists that we can't approach, grasp, or comprehend it. It is as beyond us as the foundations of the earth, the wisdom of the clouds, the chains of Orion. In this sense, God's response to Job is a tender one, a loving one, a parental one, It is the answer of a wise and careful parent who reminds her child that there are limits he must respect, whether he likes them or not. Are we meant to feel a tad dissatisfied? I think so. It's painful, after all, to be told no. It's frustrating to be confronted with the unknowable. Interestingly, Job doesn't respond to God's barrage of questions with displeasure. He responds with wonder, humility, and repentance. I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Perhaps this is the point. Not to be pleased or satisfied, but to be baffled into wonder, startled into humility, disoriented into praise. To ponder the unknowable is to be silenced into a newer, wider kind of attentiveness to God and all that God has made. Yes, Suffering remains, and so do the questions that must arise from it. But the story of Job reminds us that we ask these questions in the context of a universe securely held, ordered, protected, and cherished by God. In knowing this much, we might find rest. For books this week, Dan reviews Celebrant's Flame, Daniel Berrigan in Memory and Reflection by Bill Wiley Kellerman. In this collection of essays and reflections, Bill Wiley Kellerman remembers the Jesuit priest Daniel Berrigan from 12 different but related aspects of his vocation. Biography, teacher, brother to Phil Berrigan, priest, poet, prisoner, prophet, advocate of nonviolence, friend to William Stringfellow, contemplative and inspiration. Most of all, what makes the book special is how Wiley Kellerman recounts how his own 40-year friendship with Berrigan changed his life. Berrigan showed what it meant to be biblically radical or radically biblical. To take just one example, consider this favorite passage from his meditation on First and Second Kings, the kings and their gods. Quote, One must urge to his own soul first a firm, budding midrash. Bring Christ to bear. Read the gospel closely, obediently, 
welcome no entitlements, no other claim on conscience. Mourn the preachers and priests whose silence and collusion signal plain revolt against the gospel. Enter the maelstrom, the wilderness, flee the claim that would possess your soul. Earn the blessing, pay up. Blessed and lonely and powerless and intent on the master and, if must be, despised, scorned, locked up. Blessed are the makers of peace. Berrigan always reminds me of what the British literary critic Frank Kermode called the rhetoric of excess that we find everywhere in the Gospels. Wiley Kellerman admits that his book is deeply personal, and to his credit he makes no pretense of objectivity. He knows that with Berrigan, hagiography and personal aggrandizement are genuine temptations. As Kateri Boucher observes in the last page of the book, we're not called to blindly accept Berrigan, but to engage him in a critical way for our own personal time and place. We can resonate with Berrigan's questions, but we need to discover our own answers. So, we are still waiting for a critical biography of Berrigan that is in fact as objective and disinterested as might be possible. For more on this essay, see my reviews of Daniel Berrigan, Daniel Berrigan Essential Writings, selected and with an introduction by John Deere. Daniel Berrigan, edited by John Deere, and with an introduction by Ross Labrie, and The Risen Bread, Selected Poems. For films this week, Dan reviews Seeking Shelter, a story of place, faith, and resistance. I discovered this little gem of a film, 30 minutes long, in Bill Wiley Kellerman's book Celebrant's Flame, about Daniel Berrigan. The movie tells the story of Block Island, part of Rhode Island, which is a one-hour ferry ride from New York City, and the role that that unique setting of the island and its people played in the lives of Daniel Berrigan and his close friend, William Stringfellow. When Berrigan was convicted of federal crimes for acts of civil disobedience, he went underground, eventually finding a safe and secret harbor in Stringfellow's Block Island home. But as the film shows, the house in particular and the island in general have a broader and richer history in the story of Stringfellow, Berrigan, and their many friends who discovered a sacred space there for many decades. Director Sue Hegedorn directed this film and has just completed a feature-length film in 2021 called The Berrigans, Devout and Dangerous. And lastly, for poetry this week, Georgetown Poems, number five, by Daniel Berrigan. The suburbs are sad as death. The university slumps on its arse, money dreaming of money. Washington, D.C., a whitewashed sepulcher awaits the diggers of history. Side by side, tombs, slums, imperial empathy. Amid all this, the transfixed tourists, the international pimps, the wheelers and dealers rolling along like chariot wheels of fate, the faces like faces on dollars. Amid all this, did one original mind cry out a gospel verse, panic in the streets, tumbling whirlwinds, the unbearable halo of resurrected Christ. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for October 17th, 2021. I'm Debbie Thomas.